So Money Episode 252, Belinda Rosenblum. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnish Tarabi. Joining me today is the fabulous, the wonderful, the singular Belinda Rosenblum. She is a CPA wealth expert and self-proclaimed chief money motivator. I love that title. She's not a financial expert or a financial advisor or a money guru. I love this. Chief money motivator. I got to change my title. She runs her own company called ownyourmoney.com, which specializes in helping corporate professionals and entrepreneurs take charge of their money. Her goal is to lead a movement that will change people's perspectives on money and transform the ways we are thinking, feeling, acting with our money. She's also the co-author of a book entitled Self-Worth to Net Worth, 12 Keys to Creating Wealth Inside and out. And it provides a step-by-step approach to help build financial self-esteem. She's also offering our So Money listeners her free 10-day course to help any of you out there listening to get out of debt. Now, I don't talk about debt too much on this show, although I know that it is something that for many of us is a financial concern. So she's being very generous and the course is called Ditch Your Debt Challenge. So Money listeners can get the course by visiting www.ditchyourdebtchallenge.com forward slash so money. Don't forget that forward slash so money. Uh, Three takeaways from my interview with Belinda. Struggling with money avoidance when Belinda was young and how she combated it. The moment she realized she had the intuition and the experience to lead others to a place of financial fulfillment and turning, as her book describes, their self-worth into great net worth and how she teaches her clients to filter out all that external pressure to live their lives a certain way and really figure out what they want in their lives. I loved this part of the interview. Here we go. Here is Belinda Rosenblum. Belinda Rosenblum, welcome to So Money. A pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much, Farnoosh. I'm excited to share. Yeah. I want to get into... um, all the great things you have going on right now, but take us back a few steps to share your journey to becoming this wealth expert, helping people not just with their dollars and cents, but really unveiling and unmasking the emotions that often hold us back from getting ahead with our finances. Absolutely. And it's so interesting because it's not like I had it all figured out. If anything, it was actually the fact that I was such an avoider at heart that was part of the motivation to have me get into this because I figured, wow, if I'm having these challenges with money and I took accounting in college, right, majored in accounting in college, you know, was really good at math and numbers, but never really learned money, you know, or money management or how to have an abundant mindset for that matter. And I had a really pivotal moment when I was 28 years old and like when everything hit the fan, literally for me, like my avoiding became just over the top. And it really 
turned me around at that point. And then within five years after that, I had become a self-made millionaire at 33. I actually almost um, messaged you about being one of your millionaires next door. <laughs> but um, I figured that would have been would great. Wait. Although we have had so much to talk about. I would have to spread the interview over like I- several episodes. <laughs> Exactly. So I was like, you know what, let's handle me as wealth expert and then go from there. And it was interesting because, you know, I had to at that time really figure out how to get my mindset straight, figure out how to get my money management straight, figure out how to grow my money in a way that I could do while maintaining a full time job. And at that time, I did work for the big one of the big accounting firms for a while and did that for like 12 years and then worked as a divisional controller actually of a $400 million company. So I have a strong corporate finance background. But even with that, I actually didn't know the day-to-day money management until I read the books and taught myself how to do that. And it's like everyone has this big should, like I should know what I'm doing because I'm smart and successful in all these other areas. And I'm a firsthand you know, evidence that you shouldn't actually, <laughs> because we never even teach that to our accounting majors, really. And so it's about learning what you need to learn and then getting into action. So shortly after the um, 33 realization, when I crossed the million dollars, I said, you know what, I want to do more with my life. Corporate finance and accounting really wasn't lighting me up anymore. And because I was a good saver along the way, I, um, so even though I was a bit of an avoider when it comes, came to looking at everything at the heart of it, I was an underspender. So because I was an overspender along the way, even though I was an avoider, it actually turned out okay because I had a strong saving tendency happening at the same time. And I was able to take off this year and a half. I really did some soul searching. I did some traveling. I had to really step away from what I was doing before. And then it was like I put the puzzle pieces together bit by bit. I mean, I I backpacked around India and it was just real self-reflection in some of those experiences and my volunteering. And what I came to essentially was that I needed to take my skills and put them in a different direction. And I actually almost became a financial advisor and then ended up turning down three of those jobs because I didn't want to, I wanted to create my own motivations. I didn't want to be motivated by what my employer there wanted me to do, right? I really wanted to be able to help people totally independently with both this inner game and the outer game of money and really learn how to master both of those because I felt like if you have one without the other, then you're incomplete, right? If you have the mindset, but you don't actually take the action to manage your money, then you may feel positive, but you also feel broke. And then on the other hand, if you have the money management down, but you don't have the mindset down, then you actually likely feel overwhelmed. You feel unworthy. You don't, you're not able to really enjoy your money. And so it's when you're able to marry those two things and step into this power of what I call owning your money, Mm -hmm. then that's when this whole new world opens up. And when I realized this for myself and I was able to start to hash out how I could lead others, it was like the skies parted and ah, 
you know, the birds were chirping, <laughs> the birds were chirping and I figured out what I was meant to do. Yes. You know, listening to you, Belinda, what I have also been hearing throughout your journey is that there's a lot of external influence that makes us like you talked about feeling this pressure to sort of figure out your life. And then there was the pressure from your corporate job to sort of do things a certain way. And you had these other job offers to become a financial expert, personal financial advisor, which would have been a great career, but not fulfilling. And but yet society might have been telling you this is your path. This is the way you're supposed to go. So how do you filter out all of this noise? Because I do think that is something that all of us experience in some at some level, you know, whether for some people it's it's very heavy for others. It's just sort of this these whispers of, you know, come this way, go this direction. <laughs> how do you do you talk about that with your clients? And, and if you do, how do you what's your advice? Certainly, you know, and, and it's such a great um, aspect that you just teased out because it's, you know, even though I, I teach money, right? Money mindset, money management, helping people really figure out what they want for themselves in their life, like what their dreams are, what their goals are and who they are, that then helps create more of the why and the vision for why they even want to look at their money in the first place. When it ends up being money for money's sake, it ends up being rather empty. And as quite the overachiever myself, I can relate to people who are so successful in all these other ways and they feel like they need to keep performing, but they never, well, they often shut off their inside voices at the same time. And so when you're able to clear yourself of that um, outside stress and you can say, what do I really want? Then it just opens up this whole new world for you. And it's partly why when I wrote my first book, Self-Worth to Net Worth, 12 Keys to Creating Wealth Inside and Out, I actually co-authored it with a psychotherapist because I wanted to be able to bring in more of that emotional work. You know, when I do right. the, the Ditch Your Debt Challenge, which is just coming out now, it has a gratitude piece to it. It has a piece of recognizing that there's an inner abundance and appreciation that that we need to have to really fast track our financial lives in a way that a lot of wealth experts don't touch on. Mm -hmm. For sure. For so long, managing your wealth has just been about accumulation and making sure that you manage risk. It's been pretty black or white. But more recently, I've become in tune to been tapping into this area and I've been meeting people like you who are very in touch with the fact that guess what people also want to be fulfilled in their financial lives this idea of finding fulfillment you can teach success it's harder to teach fulfillment because that really requires the individual to dig deep you know and mm -hmm. it's not a linear thing and so Share with us a little bit more about self-worth to net worth, 12 keys to creating wealth inside and out. What was the most astounding thing you discovered, especially as you were doing this in partnership with a psychotherapist? Sure. When, well, I think that the at the core, what I realized is that when people are focused on their net worth and they're not realizing that there is this initial self-worth component that actually needs to be addressed first, sometimes they get there and then it just feels really empty. 
right? It's like, okay, I'm here. Now what? You know, where is that fulfillment as you said, or the well-being that comes with having this much money? And at the core of it, we dive into the childhood influences and people's money stories. And so in a lot of my work, we, we do breakthrough calls where we essentially have them learn how do they separate out the emotions that they have with money from their actual money actions so that they can learn to make smarter decisions with their money once it's not based on old triggers or old money stories. Can right? I, be, I want to be on a breakthrough call. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like oh, it's worth a million bucks. <laughs> Do you really have breakthroughs on these calls or is it just like the, the beginnings of a breakthrough? Oh, no, really? No, wow. live and in person. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, that's, you know, it's all it's funny because I have a lot of group programs and I, that's partly why I do Q&A calls, because I've been doing this for eight plus years now and I'm so tuned in to what's what's just under the surface. And it's the what's just under the surface that's actually what's controlling you. Right. And so I'll give you, for instance, I was just talking last week with a woman. And so essentially she wasn't paying attention to her money. She wasn't finishing this investment course. And she was even at the tail end of mine, but she was having trouble with the completion. And what what I helped her to get to was that she was actually afraid to be super successful with money because then she was afraid and she was single and dating. Okay, a little quick background there. And she was afraid that if she became as successful as a part of her knew she could be with money, that it would actually push her farther away from her dream of being married. Because men are threatened by successful women. That was the belief that she had. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So that was the belief. Which is, by the way, true in some Mm -hmm. cases, but that doesn't mean you should (laughs) not become successful. Right. Right. And, and. And you know from Psych Yourself Rich and from When She Makes More, right, that 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 there is a component of that that's real, but it also is manageable, right? And so what I helped her to get to is she was doing it so unconsciously, like she just felt like other things were more important and that that was just, quote, how it had to be, right? She was just busy. But the reality is that it wasn't just about her being busy because we make time for the things that we really value in our lives. And she wasn't making time for this because then she felt like, well, if I do, I'm going to be less attractive to a man because either I'm going to um, have more money, I'm going to have my stuff more together, I'm going to have expectations of how he's going to be with money that he will may have trouble meeting up to. So I'll have less to choose from. I mean, all of these beliefs Whoa. like weaved in, Damn. right? Right, I know, but you'd be amazed. I mean, I could keep going. We could do our whole thing on money wow. stories. Yeah. And um, and so what was so interesting is that once I helped her reframe it, and and a lot of this work is bringing a gentle awareness. So for everybody listening, you know, think about what your early money story is. And I know you talk about your early so many um, memories, right? We're going to ask so, yours soon in a moment. Oh, so. that mine, mine, yeah, hit me, you know, smack across the head too when I realized mine. Um, but that if you can bring a gentle awareness to it, you can reframe it. So what we came to realize with her is that she could actually be more desirable, not less desirable by understanding this. Because I find I work a lot with couples and I find that oftentimes the wife is actually the one who's tending to the finances. 
So I said, just because you're married, it doesn't mean that he's necessarily going to take over. If anything, if she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom down the road too, if anything, you may be the one that has, you know, supposedly <laughs> as a mom of two now, there's not a lot of free time, but as a stay-at-home mom, you might have more time than he does if he's the one that's working. So we need you to understand this now while you have the time and space to learn it. And she was like, wow, okay, so... I better figure this out. Yeah. <laughs> so like, well, it's empowering. Shift. It's empowering because I remember someone said, show me, show me your schedule. Show me how you spend your time and I'll tell you what your priorities are. I mean, it's sobering when you hear it that way. Right. I totally agree. And to add one more thing to the, what you just said in terms of show you how you spend your time and show you what you value, like look at how you spend your money Exactly. Show you what you value, yeah. right? Yes, and look yes. at how you spend your time or don't spend time on money will show you what you value. Right. Because it's not like it's someone's going to swoop in and they're going to handle it for you. Right. It's for all the people that are waiting for that. I'm sorry to tell you, you know, now is your time to take some action here. And that the good news, though, is that if you're able to start to relate paying attention to your money as a way of caring for yourself, as a way of caring for your family, and even just reframe the whole context around money, you might actually find that you're willing to do it. Because those of us who have families, especially, we would do anything for our, our spouses and our kids, right? And I want you from a self-care standpoint to be willing to do things for yourself too. Yeah. So if you can start to shift it to realize I'll be a better mother, a better father, a better sister, right? When I'm not distracted and worried by money all the time, then you might actually sit down and pay attention and open your bills. Mm-hmm. Your di- Ditch Your Debt Challenge, you're generously offering our listeners a free 10-day course, ditchyourdebtchallenge.com. Tell us a little bit about um, why you created this and really in just 10 days, we can ditch our debt. <laughs> <laughs> I can at least get you on the path, right? Um, I find that debt is really one of those major causes of breaking up couples, of stress in our lives. And I did an interesting survey with all of my readers. And what I found is that there's maybe a third of them that didn't have any debt that paid everything off currently. But then there was another third that had anywhere from a dollar to $5,000 that they carried on their cards. And then another two thirds with over uh, $5,000. And it's just, it's interesting. And if you look at the averages, I mean, the average family has... um, I want to say an average family with debt has over $15,000 in debt. And then the average, and you may know these off the top of your head too. I think it's like $15,183 or something. And then the average household period has $7,000 in debt. And one of the major things that I've come to realize is that when people even making, you know, how you had on, um, was it Brian who, you know, was making six figures and was in six figures of debt. What ends up happening is that, When we're not paying attention, we end up with putting a little bit on the card and then we take the vacation and then we put a little bit more on the card. And all of a sudden, we've now dragged our past into our present and we are taking away from our future all at the same time. And the way I have people start to look at it is any money that you're paying to pay minimums on past debt is taking away from our ability to help you to save for the future and to be able to live the life of financial freedom we want for you today. And so absolutely what we need to do is help make sure that you ditch the debt now and that you don't have to start to generate ditch debt in the future. And then the other interesting thing that I, I put into this Ditch Your Debt Challenge is 
a piece of bringing some gratitude in. So gratitude for what we were able to buy when we accumulated that debt, gratitude for what we do have in our lives, and to shift the focus, you know, we get more of what you focus on. So to shift the focus from the scarcity and the lack and the shame that often loads our debt, right, and loads our our beings because we have that debt, to instead learn how to be grateful for our family and our health and our home and what we have. And so I'm so excited to have people um, take this. I mean, I'd like to have 10,000 people, probably mainly women, um, jump into this Ditch Your Debt Challenge because I know that this is so at the core of freeing people to be able to live the life with money that's possible for them. And I have heard already so many different philosophies philosophies, money mantras shared from own your own money to you get what you focus on, have gratitude. What would you say, though, is Belinda, your overarching money mantra, if you had one, if you had like a catchphrase? So own your money is definitely the overarching. I mean, that's the name of the company. It's the name of the website. And it's honestly how I live my life because and and it's what I want everyone listening now to try on and to say like, okay, if you live from a place of, you know, I own my money, what does that do for you? I mean, I've, when I do a lot of workshops too, and I find that as people are literally able to start to take it into their body, that was the other thing that in the book, I did a lot of body centered work that, um, when you can start to imagine, okay, if I own my money, I can let go of the fear and the guilt and the shame and the frustration, and the overwhelm and all that stuff. I let go of that old identity that money has to be hard and complicated. And you step into the power that comes from I own my money, really, like for good, then it just, it's like things open up for you. You don't have those negative feelings anymore. You get joyful even. I mean, I have a program called Making Money Joyful because when you step into owning your money, you get the sense of joy, a peace of abundance. Sounds a little woo-woo, but it actually is, is such a positive place to be able to come from when you're tackling your money that it makes everything easier and you're willing to pay attention in a whole new way when you have your mindset straight and then we layer on the tactical money management that comes with it and I think of owning your money where you're not a victim right it doesn't Mm -hmm. own you instead we make responsibility as sexy fun and cool as irresponsibility has always felt you know that's what happens when you own your money I think Mm -hmm. if, if we were to uh capture our current era of financial advice, it would be called the woo-woo era because <laughs> I do, I do think, and it, in like the best way possible, I think that leaders like you yeah. and um, I mean, I think we're just, I don't know, maybe I, I don't know my history that well, but I do feel like currently we are, I'm at least catching drift of so much, so many thought leaders in that space are trying to get people back in touch with um, the basics, not just, um, you know, dollars and cents, but really about gratitude and about appreciation and about self-worth and confidence. Um, we're seeing meditation take on a whole new uh, generation where like my 24-year-old brother is meditating now with his friends. It's like yoga is back. I mean, there's like a hot yoga place that just opened up downstairs. I think there's this huge trend and I hope it's not just a trend. I hope that's kind of here to stay is like this movement towards being uh, almost taking a step backwards instead of moving so fast. We've been moving so fast, Belinda, right? Life's well, been- I actually think that all of that is to counter 
yeah. how fast and how connected totally. we are, but not really. Like if you right. think about it, right? Between your phone and your computer and your iPad and just every way that you can connect with somebody. But at the same time, I think that people end up feeling quite isolated mm-hmm. oftentimes. Yeah, and that lonely. it's the meditation and the yoga and these the realizations through my kind of work that says, you know what, it all has to start with me, right? It has to start with the inner me that can feel empowered and worthy. I remember on Tony's interview with you and you guys had talked about, right, at the core, we want to feel loved. We want to feel like we're enough. We have these basic needs to feel that and basic fears. And so if we're able to ease those fears and have it, have our self-love and self-acceptance be something that we can provide ourselves, then we don't have to seek it outside. We don't have to seek it from stuff. We don't have to seek it from people. And it's a much more peaceful way to live our life. Absolutely. What would you say was your, now getting to the so many questions, your absolute mm-hmm. number one money memory that really defined your thinking of about money, at least for a while, maybe it's not how you think about money today, but it was a very pivotal money, money memory. Well, in being in this work, I have felt this need to to really get in touch with what was go- what's been going on for me, right? And to dig deep back because I do want to be like clean so that I can tune into what other people are doing. And so, and this came, you know, through some of this kind of work to take me back to when I was about seven years old and my parents were separated and they were spending a lot of money on lawyers and divorce proceedings. And they would tell me that they were making more money each year, but they were spending more money on the divorce. And then they had nothing to show for all of their hard work. And so it was interesting that I concluded with my seven-year-old mind that as I made more money, I wouldn't necessarily have anything to show for it. And it would mean more fighting. So at the core, money equaled pain for me. And it was interesting because I essentially had capped myself and below a certain money threshold, I felt like I was safe and I wouldn't be hurt. But then once I realized that I had created the self-imposed limitation, then I could look back and I could reframe what was happening, that they really just cared about us so much that they wanted us to be happy and they both wanted to be with us, that I could release that cap. But it was interesting because when I when I was figuring this out at the time, I essentially had made the same thing for the last three years. This was like how this ceiling that I had put on myself. So I had to clean it up, had to reframe this old story so that I could then keep going, right? Mm-hmm. I could make more money and I could, um, I could release my parents in a lot of ways from controlling my financial destiny. Wow. Yeah, you you chose to not live in the past. I I understand that someone, another kind of really cool saying that I came across in my 20s was that the moment in your life where you stop blaming your your life on your past is when you actually become an adult. I I mean, I definitely, I I teach the stuff, I, I laser in on it because as soon as people are blaming somebody else, then it means they are not taking responsibility, but it also means that they've let go of control. Mm hmm. Right. And so I want everyone listening to be able to focus on what they can control. Right. You can't necessarily control how your parents brought you up, but you can control the perspective and your response to those experiences. You can control the ups and downs of the stock market, but you can control to make sure that you're diversified. Right. And so it's Mm -hmm. like blaming them doesn't work. That's like 
you drinking the poison and expecting them to die. Right. I mean, it's, (laughs) it's a little drastic, but it's kind of like blaming them is only hurting you. Right. And it's like, as soon as you can really take that in and be like, okay, well, that's not working for me. (laughs) Right. How do I move forward so that I get to actually create the life that I want instead of just blaming them for the life I don't have? What was your greatest failure, financial failure, Belinda? Well, when I was 28, I had, I was on the road for like four or five days a week, every week. And I was working for one of the big accounting firms. And what would happen was that I would come home from my business trips and I would get my mail out of my mailbox and I would just throw it on my desk without really opening or looking at things. And it wasn't just my bills, which compounded the challenge. It was that when my dad was 21, he had had a stroke and I had been put in charge of the entire family finances. And so I was essentially family CFO at 21 and this was not a job I had wanted. Mm -hmm. And so along with really wanting to care for my dad, I was in charge of eight bank accounts, two properties, five credit cards. I mean, it was just, it was so much for any mortal to handle, but it didn't help the fact that I then turned into this avoider. So I would come home every week and I would just rinse and repeat. I'd get the mail and then I'd throw it on the table. And so after about four months of this, I just got really freaked out. My sister one day had said to me, you know, how are you doing handling everything? And I had to pause and I said, you know what, let me just tell you on Monday. And I had all of these really like self-defeating thoughts, you know, that self-talk that says, is my dad going to get kicked out of the nursing home or his doctor's going to stop seeing him? What are they going to do if they find out at work that I'm this A plus player and I don't have my own finances together, right? Like I really did put a lot of that external pressure on myself. And at the same time, I had let it pile up, right? So I needed to step in and find another solution to that total overwhelm because And I view that as, quote, a failure because I had let it get so bad. But honestly, it was um, it was what I call my come to Jesus moment, which is really good for a Jewish girl from New York. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) I had this this moment where I said, if I keep going like this, it's just going to get worse. It's not going to make it better. These bills are not going to get opened. They're not going to get paid. And we had the money to do it. Fortunately, it was just that I wasn't taking the time. I wasn't prioritizing it. And so I, in that moment, figured out like at the core, what it meant to own my money. Right. And Mm -hmm. and how owning your money could give me the, um, the lifeline out of that overwhelm and stress. And then it was getting the money management system together. And I had to have a friend come over and help me open bills. Like, just so you know, I was completely paralyzed. And yet you still wanted to go into finance. I know. Well, fortunately, it took six months and I worked my way out of it. That's when I immersed myself in everything. Right. And um, immersed myself in the books, just immersed myself in paying attention, asked for help. And figured out the financial independence didn't mean I had to do it on my own. And then it was five years later that I had become a self-made millionaire. And I wouldn't have known if I wasn't looking at anything and tracking. What would you say was your so money moment? Was it becoming when you turned, was it 32, 33, you became a self-made millionaire? I don't think it was actually that moment that I would 
deem as my, it was fun. Don't get me wrong. Right. I mean, it was nice to know, but even now in our economy, a million dollars isn't as much as it used to be kind of thing. I wasn't retiring at that point. Um, but what, what you'll, you're probably learning about me. Um, if you haven't figured out already is I really care about my family and it was about building a business. I started this in 2007 that would allow for me to be able to have a family and grow my family. So my so money moment was actually in 2013 because in 2012, I had revamped my entire business so I could create a life where I had a successful business and grow my family. I had grown and grown and grown, but it was too time intensive for me. So 2012, I revamped the entire thing to be able to scale it, help more people and require less direct time for me. And then in 2013, I took off nearly three months while I grew my revenue by nearly 50% and I increased profits by over $50,000. And it was being able to do that and to allow money to be a tool for me to have what I wanted in my life. That's really what it was all about for me. I hear you talk and I'm like, man, she's a CFO. (laughs) (laughs) I am a CPA at heart. Right. Um, That. That, that that's helps. I started this whole journey. And so I do like money. I do like math. Um, I help others learn how to like it too. And just paying attention to your numbers in a way that isn't loaded with shame and judgment is huge, right? <laughs> and you don't have to make it mean all don't these things. Don't feel bad about your money, don't people. Right. Go love your money. Go love it's it. All good. Go make out big, big make out session with your money. <laughs> I don't know what that's going to look like, but know. that's um, okay. What's your number one habit, Belinda? Something that you practice regularly to help you with your with your money? Well, it, it's a good follow on after the story of 28. So I actually have to, um, even though I recovered and I consider myself a recovering avoider now, I have to open my mail and review my credit card statements regularly and currently. Because if I don't and if I let it pile up, then it triggers back to that moment when I was at my dining room table and I had amassed all of my piles of mail and bills. Right? Like, even though that was. 15 years ago plus Mm -hmm. I it's amazing you know how our psyche works and I still get triggered back there so now I just have set up systems in place so that I open everything and I review it on a regular basis and then if there's something wrong I also take action immediately or quickly if not immediately to resolve whatever it is that's on that statement let's say that's not correct because I think that oftentimes there are just so many charges that people didn't ask for, you know, they didn't realize, they don't see because they're not looking at their statements. So I found that opening your mail and reviewing what's there is an important habit that so important. seems simple, but you'd be amazed at how many of my clients um, uh, like aren't able to do that, right? Or at least have emotions. It happens to the best of us, Belinda. It happens to me. I'll check my bank, est- my credit card statement and be like, wait a minute, I thought I canceled that uh, such and such account. And I forgot. I mean, because I go to the airport, for example, and I buy Wi-Fi. I'm one of those people. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like a trial, right? It's like, you know, free, but then you have to give them your credit card and then they'll start charging you every month, you know, $7 or $10. And that happened to me once for a period of like four or five months. I had no idea. Called them. They ended up reimbursing me because I was like, guys, uh, what? You know, <laughs> that was in the fine print. Right. And you can't use your phone if you're in an airport. 
for it. You can use the, you know, oh, well, if it's overseas, maybe not. Mm. But um, you at, can the use the spot, at the hotspot, often. Actually, yeah. can you? I don't. You have to pay your carrier to be able to have that. Um, I don't. I, I don't know. know. I don't know. I know everyone's like, just. Use, I don't know how that works. Someone write, write to me. Ever, yeah. Every, <laughs> if news. you're listening to this, email yeah. me and tell me how that works because I need to. Yeah, that would be very helpful. Um, yeah, right. no problem. I'm happy to show you where, where that is. But um, but yeah, but the point that you're making is a really good one, and that there are oftentimes subscriptions that we have, or sometimes I'll see this with people's cable bills where they free channels and then now the free part has worn off mm -hmm. and then by not looking at the bills they're not recognizing that all of a sudden their bill just went up from $80 to $160 and they're like whoa if they're looking at it they'll notice that it just went up to 80 bucks but if they're not then all of a sudden they're just now paying this much larger bill that they have to deal with absolutely and they probably can't even find all of it yeah, like I said, it it happens to a lot of people who are normally good at managing their money, but sometimes things fall through the cracks. Belinda, right. let's do some so money fill in the blanks. Starting Got with, it. if I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say a hundred million bucks, the first thing I would do is. Um, well, first, I think I talk to my accountant and figure out what I have left. <laughs> That's probably the CPA in me um, in terms of, you know, taking some off the top. I put some aside so that I felt like I had enough for me, for my kids, for my grandkids. And then it was interesting because I've heard you ask this question before. And every time I think about, you know, what would I do? And I would start a foundation to empower women to really believe in themselves and their worthiness, to let go of those old stories, especially their old money stories, and really step into that greatness and allow money to serve them. Um, I own some property in Costa Rica. I would build a retreat center out there. Um, that's been something that I've kind of held on to the property. Um, at this point now, I'll likely be selling it soon. But um, unless I happen to win that $100 million, then I'll go build my retreat center. And um, and then I think, you know, there'd be a bunch that would be fun money. I would do some of the things that I don't indulge in now, like a stylist or shopping or, you know, going to Disney, right? Isn't that when people say, what are you going to go do? I'm going to go to Disney. Don't so go to I, Disney. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe because like you're a parent, you do that for your kids. But seriously, my cousins go to Disney every single year. They got married there. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So there's the those people married on the beach in Costa Rica. That's more <laughs> of my thing. Um, so it'd probably be a family trip there at first. But um, my kids are two years and three months right now. Yeah, so they're not going to remember. Don't go yet. Yeah. I say go when they can remember it and they can appreciate it. Exactly. And then you can say, like, we're not going again because you, you we, we, we already went. <laughs> um, let's see. One thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is that financial stability doesn't mean you have to have a paycheck job. You know, I, I wish that I'd really gotten earlier that entrepreneurship was a viable option and one that could actually put more control of my destiny mm -hmm. into my hands. Right? Yeah, that yeah. I did not get taught that either. It was all about like get the 401k with the job, you know, health insurance, which is great if you can get that, but it's no guarantee. I got laid off. I know what that's like. Right? Ditto. One thing that makes my life easier or better, the one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? Mm. Um, I have my assistant meal preps my lunches. 
And it's interesting because I end up having just a really packed day, partly because I only work about 25 hours now, given kids and all that. And so for me to know that I have my lunch prepared for the week and for me and my husband is actually really super helpful. Yes. Uh, It also gets rid uh, of that fatigue, right, of trying to figure out what to eat every day. Right. I mean, I'm a big fan of meal prep for, uh, you know, with groceries for dinners. So when I can just, and I don't mind having the same thing every day. So I get some help with that. And it's just a big relief to know that I'm eating well and eating healthy. And we actually do a local farm share, which is also something that I feel like makes me feel better. Um, So we use as much of that as possible. And it's just a real win-win. Wow. We need more of those in New York. New York, well, I yeah, they're a Manhattan. lot harder to come by. In they're a little New York. harder. I mean, there's yeah. farmers markets all over this island, but um, now that we have uh, moved, sort of subletting in Williamsburg, it's there's just hey, again, if you're listening and you know more about the city than I do, like let me know. I'm using my audience as a resource to inform me about things, but looking for inexpensive ways to uh, eat healthy in New York City. Okay, one thing that I well, I already asked you that. Um, when I donate, I like to give to blank because um, two major places. One is the Dana Farber Marathon Challenge. My husband runs the marathon in New York uh, once, but mainly Boston. Uh, we just signed up now for his fourth year doing Boston, and we really we have, you know. On- Fortunately, just had people pass away from cancer in his life and my life. And we really want our children to get to a point where they can learn about cancer in history class. You know, whether it's them or their children that um, that we get rid of cancer. And then also I give to um, combined Jewish philanthropies. So really further, um, you know, the Jewish priorities in the world, too. Excellent. Yeah, mm-hmm. we don't learn about cancer in school. I suppose it's too hard a topic to really... We learned about it in, you know, maybe health class, but not as part of the, you know, regular curriculum. Yeah, I just want us to find a way to have to find an answer, right, to find a solution, because so many people die of cancer every year. That is just it's so sad how prevalent it is um, in our society and our families. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, so he's running 26 miles and then we're raising money in the process. Mm -hmm. Ah, My goodness. Someday I might do a marathon. Better him than me. Yeah. And last but not least. Good. Yeah. Posters all the way. Sidelines. Count me in. Um, And Belinda, last but not least, I'm so money because. I'm so money because I'm a recovering avoider who now gets to help others face their financial fears and create the lives that they are meant to live. I wasn't sure where you were going with that at first. I thought you were going to say I'm a recovering alcoholic or something. And I was like, <laughs> Should I pause a little bit longer? No. I'm yeah, just, I mean, it's oh. all, I'm creating a judgment-free zone, which I have to tell you is so money. Like, it's so hard to get that in our lives mm-hmm. when we handle our money. And so um, I feel like I'm so money because I can help people be able to do that, to ditch their debt, own their money, and live the lives that they're meant to live. Love it. DitchYourDebtChallenge.com, everybody. Go check it out. Even if you don't have debt, I want to I want to go on there and maybe have a breakthrough. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's um, there are going to be I'm going to be doing periscopes every day um, of those 10 days. And I know, um, you know, you're dabbling in that a little bit, a little too. bit, a little bit. You know, I'm doing um, 
we have like uh, just a whole series of support over that 10 days for you. And um, there will be a webinar at the end to really live your rich life and some live makeovers there. So yeah, you get a little bit of everything with this challenge. And and it's you don't have to have debt because what it will do if you take it is that it will then help you set yourself up so that you don't get yourself into debt or you know how to deal with it when you do. So whether you have a lot or a little debt, come join me. All right, everyone, you heard that. Join. Thank you for joining us today on So Money, Belinda. Really hope to have you back soon and we'll be keeping an eye on you. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Farnoosh. It's really been a pleasure. And, um, you know, I, I feel like your podcast also just really brings this fresh sense and access to people that a lot of your listeners might not normally have access to. So thank you for allowing us to share uh, with all of your listeners. If you'd like to learn more about Belinda, her website is ownyourmoney.com. The debt challenge is at ditchyourdebtchallenge.com forward slash so money. It's a free 10 day course for so money listeners. And Belinda is on Twitter at ownyourmoney. Follow her. Thanks so much to Belinda and to you for joining me. So much more coming ahead. In the meantime, if you have any money questions for me, head over to somoneypodcast.com. Click on Ask Farnoosh, and that's how you and I can connect, and I will get through as many questions as I can in the coming week or weeks. Hope to hear from you. In the meantime, hope your day is so money. So money.